at Alina Health. We care about your health and wellness. Learn how Alina Health provides care that can benefit you in this edition of The Wellcast. Now here's your host, Melanie Cole. Do you find yourself crossing your legs when you laugh or sneeze? Do you find yourself frequently rushing to the restroom? Do you relate to those gotta-go commercials? If you said yes to any of these questions, you could be one of over 27 million women nationally who experience bladder leakage. My guest today is Dr. B.J. Harris. She's a board-certified surgical gynecologist with Alina Health. Welcome to the show, Dr. Harris. So tell us a little bit about what is that bladder leakage? What is incontinence? Good morning, Melanie. Urinary incontinence is a very common thing. I tell my patients it's not normal, but it's common. And the good news is that it is not dangerous. It is the involuntary leakage of urine. The most two, two most common types are stress incontinence and urgency incontinence, or overactive bladder. Stress incontinence is leakage with coughing, laughing, sneezing. A really common one is exercise. And then urgency incontinence is a bit different. It's leakage when you just cannot make it to the bathroom, like the Gotta Go ads. So what causes it, and are there things that would increase somebody's risk of, you know, suffering from incontinence, and it's such an embarrassing situation that many women don't even want to tell their friends that they've got this? Yes, I hear that very commonly. Women are finally coming out and speaking about this sort of stuff. Some of the biggest risk factors are childbearing, obesity, chronic cough, whether it's from asthma or smoking, chronic constipation, smoking itself. Vaginal delivery and episiotomy are particularly high risk for stress incontinence, and family history and repetitive lifting may also play a role. Okay, so what can we do to find out? If it's really becoming something that's a problem, and you just say, okay, I'm not comfortable with this, whether it's, you know, the urge or stress incontinence, if you're just not comfortable, then what? What are you going to do as a doctor to help us with this? Sure, sure. When you first come into my office, the, the diagnosis is oftentimes made with simply a history and a physical. Um, if I see a patient in the office and they have straightforward symptoms, it's generally safe to make, di- make a diagnosis without extensive testing. Sometimes maybe a simple urinalysis to make sure there's not an infection increasing the symptoms. If somebody has a complex pattern of symptoms, we can do additional tests right there in the comfort of our office. Then what? What are the treatments? What's the first line of defense? Sure. We have lots of conservative options for both stress and urgency incontinence. The main conservative option for stress incontinence would be Kegels. Kegels don't have great success rates. However, physical therapy does. And what I tell my patients about physical therapy is it's like having a personal trainer for your pelvic floor. So physical therapy can also be a conservative treatment option for urgency incontinence. Bladder retraining, which is even timed voiding during the day, and watching one's intake of caffeinated or carbonated beverages or even alcoholic beverages can play a part in management that is conservative for the urinary incontinence. Okay, so bladder retraining, our Kegel exercises, and then the caffeinated or alcoholic beverages. When we're looking at how much we drink in the day, what do you want us to know about that? I mean, does it mean stop drinking coffee, one cup's enough? What about wine at night? Are these things contributing to that incontinence, or are they just adding that diuretic effect, which is already making our incontinence harder to deal with? Yeah. No, it actually can be both. So, for example, it doesn't mean that you absolutely can't have coffee. 
I generally recommend a reduction in your coffee, but I'm not going to take away your single glass of java in the morning. That, that would be cruel and unusual. Uh, so also we know that it doesn't mean that you can't have these things. It's just that when you have these sort of beverages, you might not expect a perfect behavior, quote-unquote, out of your bladder. So if you have alcohol right before bed, um, maybe you're not going to have as good of a night. It doesn't mean you can't have it. It's a choice. Okay, now you spoke about Kegel exercises. Somebody who teaches this for part of what I do for a living, give us a little lesson. Here, if you would, Dr. Harris, for women listening that don't understand how to do it, because for some people, and even men can benefit from this exercise, but just give a little lesson on how you should be doing it and how often. Oh, sure. Kegels are classically learned or taught for women at least, while you're urinating to stop your stream. And then that's the correct set of muscles. If you can pay attention while you're urinating to what muscles are required in your bottom to stop the flow, then that's the correct set of muscles. Now, I don't generally recommend doing your kegels while you're urinating all the time because I think it can teach voiding dysfunction. Uh, but once you've isolated those muscles, to contract them multiple times a day. Now, our physical therapists have... Uh, more wide variety, so it doesn't get quite so boring for the actual kegels. Uh, we used to traditionally think in terms of, oh, do you know, a set of six, ten times while you're sitting at the stoplight. And if you're moving up and down in the car and the person in the, the lane next to you can see that you're doing your kegels, well, then you've got the wrong set of muscles isolated. It's maybe better if you do it at a time when you're actually paying attention and focusing on these muscles rather than trying to multitask, as we all do in this day and age. So we've seen those commercials, the women on the golf course, and they, they have to go. They jump in the golf cart and race all the way. So they're talking about medications in those commercials. What do the medications do? <clears throat> the medications affect the nerve and the muscle function of the bladder, causing the bladder muscle to relax. In this way, the meds reduce the frequency and intensity of bladder contractions, thus decreasing unwanted leakage and frequency. So if the bladder relaxes, do, doesn't that sound like it would do just the opposite, like it would let loose whatever it is you're supposed to be holding in there? How do these medications work as far as lifetime? Do Is it just something you take when you're suffering, or is it a lifetime thing? Sure. You know, you don't have to plan on taking it your whole life, not always. If you're able to make some lifestyle changes, such as weight loss, reduction in caffeinated beverages, able to maintain symptom relief, you can sometimes stop the medicine. In addition, if it's the overactive bladder that is very, very bothersome and the medicines either aren't something that you want to take long-term or you have side effects that you don't like, we have some neuromodulators, something such as Interstim, which would be a surgical option, or Urgent PC, which would be something we'd be able to manage the overactive bladder symptoms with in our office. We do have other non-medical sort of things. And it does. It really can vary at different times in, in women's lives, how much their symptoms are bothersome to them. So what about surgery? If we need, you know, we've heard about the slings and we've heard about vaginal meshes. Tell us a little bit about the different forms of surgery. And are they safe? What do they do for us? Sure, sure. The most common type of surgery for stress incontinence is the insertion of a midurethral sling. It's a simple, same-day surgery. It's a small, shoestring-sized and shaped piece of mesh that's inserted via the vagina underneath the urethra. And then it acts like a backstop or a hammock to the urethra so that when you laugh or exercise, it's there to support the urethra and prevent the leak of urine. There are a ton of women out there living a less active lifestyle than they'd like to as a result of stress urinary incontinence. 
And yes, overall, the surgery is safe. There is no surgery that has 0% risk. But the FDA does have some warnings regarding vaginal mesh. The main concern is when large pieces of mesh are placed for prolapse into the vagina. The ads you're seeing and hearing are frightening women away from seeking treatment for their urinary incontinence. The midurethral slings were first developed in 1995. That's pretty much 30 years ago in Sweden. And since then, they've been an excellent treatment. I've continued to use them and still do use them today as one of the gold standards for treatment of stress urinary incontinence. So in just the last minute or so, Dr. Harris, give your best advice for women out there who may be a little bit too shy to discuss this with their doctor, who might be suffering from one of the types of incontinence we've been discussing today, and really give them your best advice about what they should do about it. Sure. I think that there's nothing to be embarrassed about. This is very, very common. Come, chat with your gynecologist, chat with your internal medicine or family practice doctor. Chat with one of us and we can get you in the right direction. You'll find that we hear about this pretty much every day, if not every week. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to have some answers for you and at least give you some, some direction. Uh, if nothing else, maybe even some reassurance that the good news is it's not dangerous and we can work on this together. That's great information. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Wellcast with Alina Health. For more information, you can go to alinahealth.org. That's alinahealth.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.